So it was December, it was a day in December, 2015. And I was on a walk with a man that had the resume I wished I had. A degree from Duke University. A Master of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. A PhD from Cambridge University in England. And we were mulling over the last five months we had just spent together uh, in close quarters. I was doing a pastoral residency and, and uh, the last thing to do is to go for a walk with, with Michael to, to talk about how things went and how we think things should go from, from here on out. And one of the things he, he said to me was, Doug, and he was very kind. He said, Doug, one of the, so many gifts, but one of the things I wish you would have done was to invest more time in the other residents. There were five of us all together, and every one of them was younger than me. Uh, and I looked at him, I said, what do I have to offer? I don't, I'm just a resident like they are. I'm just an intern, basically. What do interns have to offer other interns? And uh, the fact was, I had plenty to offer, not because I'm great, but just because I have lived life, and I had, uh, I had lived a different life than all of these brothers. And I, it wasn't about having a gold-plated resume in order to offer something to somebody. It was about offering myself to build up other people, the other guys. What Michael was trying to say was that he couldn't do all that was needed for those other residents. He, he couldn't be everything that everyone in the church needed. He needed other people to come alongside of him and do the work in that church. And that has a, that has a lesson for us this morning. God forms communities not by a one-man show, but by a group effort. God forms communities. There's, he wants to do community formation among us here at the branch and whatever other church you end up at in, in your life at whatever point. God forms communities by a group effort, not by a one-man show. And in Exodus 18, God shows us he forms his community by communal work. God forms his community by communal work, by joining the work together. That's how he does it. He doesn't do it from a top down, you know, like the lead pastors, the president, and the president makes sure everything works. That's not how it works in the church. He, he does it through the gifts of the members and the leaders of the church. And in this story, in Exodus 18, he, he forms his people through a reunion, through redemption, and a revelation. Those are just three points that we're going to work through. He forms his community by communal work, and the three points are a reunion, a redemption, and a revelation. God reunites a family, Moses' family. He redeems a Gentile priest, and he forms his people through the common grace of communal effort, through this general revelation of, of common grace wisdom. So the beginning of Exodus, if the beginning of Exodus is, is sort of like a, a blockbuster movie, you know, uh, plagues are coming down and Moses is raising his staff and great stuff is happening, uh, action adventure kind of stuff, today's like a day at the office. Not the office, we're not, not the office, not the show. It, well, maybe it's like that, just not as funny. 
It's like a day at the office. Like you're going and you're like, okay, what's, what do we do here? So Exodus chapter 18, verses one through eight, reunited. Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he had said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help. And he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he had sent word to Moses, I, your (coughs) father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. This is God's word. Now God in his community formation starts here in Exodus 18. He starts with a family reunion. It's a reunited and it feels so good. A couple of you older people got that. God has reunited his family and, and he, he brings Zipporah back. And just, uh, Moses had sent her and her sons away and we don't know exactly why. Some scholars think he had divorced her. Uh, that may or may not be the case. I don't, I don't think it necessarily was that maybe he sent her away for her own safety while, the, um, while they were escaping Egypt. And, and either way, now there's a family reunion and his wife and his two sons come along with his father-in-law. And they're reunited, and he's reunited with his family, and they're back safely. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, if you've ever seen someone who's gone a long time away, like a soldier, maybe deployed overseas, but as they can't come home, there's often an emotional reunion. You haven't seen each other for a very long time, and you're safe, and I get to, I get to hold you and touch you, and they're reuni- reunited with each other. And God is reuniting them and reminding Moses of the, the goodness of family. But he's not only, they're not only reunited with his wife and his sons, he's reunited with his father-in-law, who the Bible tells us was a, a priest of Midian. He was a, he was a Gentile priest. He was, he was Jethro, the priest of Midian. And somehow in verse one, Jethro hears about what has happened to, to Israel, God's people, and what God has done. And maybe like uh, Rahab the harlot in, in Joshua chapter two, somehow the word has come to Jethro, and, and, but he wants to hear it for himself. He wants, to, he wants to know for a fact that God has really done this, and Moses is okay, and he can reunite his daughter and his grandsons with Moses. And, and the whole time, Jethro is there with his two grandsons, and he has the story of God's faithfulness and kindness before him in their names, in their very names, Gershom 
Gershom in verse 3 said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. But not only that, his second son was named Eliezer, Eliezer in verse 4, for he had said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, most likely, this was a, this was, he named this young man Eliezer in faith, not having been delivered yet. We don't know for sure, but likely it was in faith he named him, that God was going to help him and deliver him. And Jethro had these two boys, and each time he called his grandson's name, he'd hear the story of God. Gershom, Eliezer, come here. And he would know that Moses in faith named them this. And he makes, so Jethro makes a plan to bring Moses' family back to him. He hears about it, now he makes a plan, and he, he sends word to Moses, hey, hey, I'm coming, your father-in-law, I'm coming, and I, I'm going to bring your family with me. This reunification, though, wasn't just for, for you know, just so the family could have a, a family picture, and put it in the put it in the album, and and remember this great time when God had brought them together. It, you know, it was partly for a memorial for that, but it was more so so the story could be told. God's name must be known. And you remember that in Exodus chapter 9, as, as the battle is raging against Pharaoh and, and, and Moses comes against Pharaoh in the, in the name of God, and God says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this purpose. This very purpose is the whole reason I raised Pharaoh up, is that my name might be known to the, to the earth, to the nations, to Gentiles, to people outside of Israel. I've raised you up, and they're going to know. And here comes Jethro. He hears about it, and now he wants to hear it from the horse's mouth. And so Moses tells him the old story. Well, it's a new story, but for us it's an old, old story about how God delivered him, how God brought him safely through the waters of death. And even on the other side, as the people grumbled and complained and were about to die of hunger and die of thirst, he tells them how God kept them. He delivered them through all of that hardship. He tells the story in verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Notice, Moses doesn't make this story about himself. He makes it about the Lord who had delivered them. Moses gives his testimony, as it were, of God's deliverance. And, and, and Jethro, the pagan priest, is hearing this all in his ears for himself. And he, told Israel, he told Jethro all that had happened, how the Lord delivered them, because God forms his community by communal work, and it starts with telling the story. Tell, tell your story. Do you want to know how this community can grow in, in godliness and holiness and even grow numerically? Is by telling the old story. How God, in his kindness and his love, delivers sinners. Now, he delivered Israel from Egypt, and, and it wasn't because of their sin they were in slavery, but he delivered them out of slavery, which becomes a, an image, a picture of slavery to sin. And God wants you to tell that story. And you can use your own story in that story, but don't forget the real story. 
And that is that God, the Lord, Yahweh, King of kings, delivers people for his own sake so that his name might be praised and so he might do good to a people. And all of this leads to redemption. It leads to Jethro, I think, being converted. Verses 9 through 12. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that day. He had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This is God's word. Now, I, I, there are five reasons I think Mos, uh, Jethro became converted, and, and the five reasons, maybe you pick them out as I was reading, have to do with Jethro's responses to the story. What Moses just tells him in, in one verse, in a few lines, what God did for Israel. And having known Moses and having had the grandkids there and having probably heard the story of, of God, having called Moses from the bush and called him to be a deliverer, now God does deliver them. And how does Jethro respond? In verse 9, Jethro rejoices. Jethro rejoices for God's good deliverance. He got the point of the story. The point of the story was not about how great Moses was leading this people out of Egypt, the point of the story was how great God was in delivering this people from Egypt. He rejoices. He praises God. In, in verse 10, he, he praises or he, he blesses God. It, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. Blessed be God. Praise be to God. All, what I know about Pharaoh is he, he was a great God, but Yahweh, now that is a real God. And he praises him. He doesn't care who hears. He's, he's like Elf. I'm in love. I'm in love. And I don't care who knows about it. He wants everyone to know. Blessed. This is, this is a response of, of someone who's converted, I think. Blessed be God. And then Jethro confesses in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair he dealt arrogantly with the people. And, and I think in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, this is, a, uh, this is Jethro not ranking Yahweh among many other gods, saying, yeah, he's number one, and then there's a number two, three, four, and five. No, it's a poetic way of saying he's the only God. This is it. He's it. This is the only God I'm convinced now. And I was a priest of Midian, but now I'm a Yahweh follower. He's the only God. He, he, is, he is the God of gods as a way to say he, he, there's only one God, and his name is Yahweh. And in verse 12, you see he, that he brings an offering of burnt sacrifices to, to, to Yahweh. And in the Old Testament, this was a way of showing faith in God. Do you believe in this God who delivered Israel. Okay, then go make an offering. Acknowledge your sin and need for redemption. 
acknowledge that blood must be shed in order to cover for your sins and look towards me in faith. And here, here Jethro is, making offerings, blessing God, rejoicing, confessing his, not just his knowledge, but his, 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 his faith in Yahweh. I think even if this wasn't, even if this wasn't a true conversion, which I think it was, at the very least, uh, Jethro is expressing, he's expressing exactly what Israel should have expressed. Here's Israel, God's chosen nation, 430 years in bondage, and, and at once, in about, about a year, God draws them out of Egypt through, through a mighty hand and through the Red Sea and, and through the waters of judgment and death. They come out on the other side alive. And here he is, he has delivered them. And in, in chapter 15, they do rejoice with Moses, but it doesn't take long in chapters 16 and 17 for them to grumble and complain. And, and, and instead of continuing to praise God, they grumble and complain. And now here, a Gentile priest is responding in the way Israel should have responded. He's, he's coming in faith. And the final point in verse 12 is he has a meal with God's people. He eats bread with Moses, which is, I, I think, just a, a precursor, a, a, a future, a, po- a pointer to a, a future meal that, that God's people will share together. And Christian, maybe you find yourself grumbling and complaining about the wilderness God has you in. I know I do from time to time, even this week. Maybe you're uncertain about your job situation. Or you're sad about your friends leaving. You're, maybe you're, you, you find yourself embittered over your hard marriage. What would God have you do? Grumble and complain about the wilderness he has you in? Or take a step back and think about your deliverance? Take a step back and think about what God has delivered you from and the possibilities that this hard marriage or the abandonment of friends or the the uncertainty of life, what are the possibilities? What is God possibly doing? What will he maybe even in the future deliver you from that his name, name might be praised? That you can look now and you can say, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope again in God. This shows God's purpose also for the exodus. So Christian, if, if you're grumbling and complaining, take a step back and, and think of those things. But non-Christian and, and Christian alike, think about the purpose that God had for the exodus. That the world, the nations might know that he is God and God alone. And here, he shows his heart for the nations. He's bringing them in. In Genesis 18, God had promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to many nations. He would would bless them, and God would curse those who curse him. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now here is a partial fulfillment of that. Jethro was coming in, an outsider to Israel, a pagan priest. He was far away from God. And so were we. So were you. Ephesians 2 reminds us that, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, God is forming his community through communal work. The gospel story leads to gospel redemption. leads to a gospel response. The gospel story of of looking up to, to God, looking up to him, starts to come in for Jethro. And maybe that's for you. Now, if he can bring a pagan priest into, uh, into redemption as one of the people of God, can't he bring you? Can't he bring you into, into the hope of, of eternal life? You, you're not too far off for him to bring you near. And God forms his community by the gospel story being told and the gospel story being responded to in redemption through, through belief and through praise. And God forms his community by redeeming those who are far off. And lastly, he forms his community by revelation. In chapter 18, 13 through 27, we're just going to break this down uh, and and read it as it comes. But the first thing we see is the community's problem. God is forming this community, but now we see that the community has a problem. And the next day, Moses sat to judge the people in verse 13. Next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute, they come to me and decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Moses' father-in-law said to him, "What what you are doing is not good. You and the people, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Jethro observes what's happening in the community, and and uh, we we know how the people in the wilderness grumbled and complained against God. So you can only imagine how they must have grumbled and complained with each other, right? I mean, it's only logical that they were going to have lots of disputes. And they did. And Moses, we, we don't ex- know exactly how large the community was, but some people estimate it was up to t- 2 million people. It could be less than that. Whatever it was, it was large, and it was getting to be a problem for Moses. Because Moses sat as the judge. He was the prophet. He was the deliverer. And he sat over them, and people brought their disputes, and, and, and Moses tried to solve the problem. And, and Jethro newly confessing uh, uh, praise of Yahweh and, and belief in Yahweh, he comes in and, and observes just a man of wisdom, and, um, common grace wisdom, some general revelation here. This isn't special revelation from Jethro. It's general revelation. It's, it's common grace wisdom that Jethro observes and, and from his experience he gives to Moses. He says, this isn't good for you. This is not good. You're going to wear out, and so are the people. And so Jethro gives some advice. He says, now, obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. 
You, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Now, I think Jethro's offering a bit of advice, but this is from, from, from a common grace perspective. This is wisdom that the community needed and Moses needed at this time. And if you'll notice, this is different than the church. Israel is different than the church in this way, that they were, they were both a nation and a religion combined together in this, this new people as they're coming out of the wilderness. And the church is not both a, a nation and a religion. Uh, right, right now, the, the church is, is separate from the state. And so there are some differences here. But in terms of principles for governing the church, God has given some seed principles here in Exodus 18 that will, that will flower up into the church uh, as, as Paul tells Timothy, when, when you are to choose men, you should choose men who are able to teach, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and who, who, do, who are not in love with money. It's the same kinds of things, and God is setting over this new people of God Delivered from Egypt, these principles of how they should govern themselves. Moses, you can't govern alone. You can't govern all these people alone. You're, you're going to need help. And when you do, you need to, you need to pick out men of character. Men who are, who are able. Men who fear God. Who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And, and what they're to do is they are to, they are to judge people, and, and some, some of them are to judge thousands, and some hundreds, and some fifties, and some tens. And this is the principle of subsidiary, subsidiarity, that uh, the, the smaller things should be handled on the smallest level possible. This is a family affair? Handle it at the family level, the, the tens. This is a clan affair? Handle it at the next level up. The bigger it gets, the, the more people should be involved, the more serious it is, and, and, and Moses should be involved. And, and it, it sets a principle for, for how, to, how to handle problems with a, a group of people this large. And God is giving, through Jethro, this, this new sort of believer, he's giving him, through Jethro, he's giving Moses some, some goodness, some, some kindness, some, uh, something that he is going to extend his ministry and the, the life of the people. Now, friends, when it comes to the church, membership in this community or, or leadership in this community, we're going to be talking to Jason Hahn afterwards as, as an elder. And, and the elders have done uh, lots of work over the last year to, to talk through what the expectations are, but uh, w- what it means to be a qualified leader over God's people. What should an elder do? The primary thing an elder does is to be an example of the believer 
in life and faith and conduct. 1 Timothy 4. He's just to set an example of what a believer is supposed to be. That's what, that's what he does. That's what an elder does. And in 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1, you can, you can see the qualifications of a leader. And, and D.A. Carson has remarked, the most remarkable thing about the qualifications of an elder is how unremarkable they are. Every Christian is supposed to, is supposed to be shooting for, for these qualifications. So maybe you have a, a little skewed view of like what elders are to be in this church as opposed to what you should be in this church. Elders and, and members, elder, elders aren't like the, you know, this, this clergy that is set above the people as holier than everybody. No, 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 no. The elders are just supposed to be an example of what everyone is supposed to be, and God selects certain people to lead out, to, to lead the church, to oversee the church in their, with, their, with their prayers and their teaching and their planning and their presence. This is what elders do. So I want to ask you, whether you're an elder or not, whether you're a deacon or not, do you meet the standards of a leader here in chapter 18, verse 21? And if you, if you don't, what, what areas do you need to work on? Where, where can you grow? What, what are, what are the, the places that you ha- have some, some growth areas? And I think that this is one thing that God would call us to, that um, membership in, in this church, in, in, in a people uh, of God, takes us all working to, together. Because God builds his community through communal work. And it takes character to be involved in this, this spiritual kind of work. It takes character like is expected of elders and deacons and members in this community. And lastly, you not only see the community's problem, you not only see Jethro's advice, you see Moses' humility. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away into his own country. This is God's word. So God gives this this revelation to Moses through the common grace wisdom of Jethro, this, this general revelation, this common wisdom, and he, and he, he gives it through this, this new believer. And God's work through common grace wisdom starts to form God's people. And they do it, and Moses puts it into place, and he doesn't try to keep the authority for himself, but he pushes the authority down and, and out to other people. And I wonder what this means for our community. Let's just be honest. Maybe you feel like the fellowship of the ring is breaking up with all the people leaving over the summer. What would God have you do? What would God have us do? And just to be clear, people who are leaving over the summer are not leaving for bad reasons, but God is moving them on out of state mostly uh, or, or to other, other counties in Oregon, God is moving them on. 
and if it feels like the fellowship of the ring is breaking and you're alone and you're like Frodo and I have this big burden and I, I got to take the ring all by myself, friends, there's the Samwise Gamgee that's, that's going to that's gonna come after you into the water and he's, he's going to drown and, and not let you go by yourself. You don't have to go it alone. We're not alone. And so what I would say is, then let's give ourselves to the work. Let's give ourselves, let's give ourselves to, the, to, the, to the work that God has called us to in this church because God forms his community by communal work so that his name might be known and loved. And God, God's going to, God's going to continue on this work regardless if the branch ever ends or continues on. He's going to continue his work. He said the church, his church will never fail. No institution, he's never said that about any other institution except his church. The church will never fail. It will go on. It will overcome the gates of hell because of what God has done. The old story is that he has redeemed people. And he is still redeeming people like Jethro, like you. So won't you give yourselves to the work? The work is hard, though. And there's a, a poem I recently heard about for a student who used AI to write a paper. I don't think it was written to any student here. That was a joke. I'm positive it wasn't written to any student here. His name is Joseph Fasano, and he, this professor wrote it. And, and I just, now I let it fall back in the grasses. I hear you. I know this life is hard now. I know your days are precious on this earth. But what are you trying to be free of? The living? The miraculous task of it? Love is for the ones who love the work. Friends, the love of this community is for those who love the work of this community. Whatever community you're a part of, love of community is for those who love the work. And praise be to God. God forms his community by communal work. And he's the one that starts it, and he's the one that's going to finish it. He's the one that's going to energize you for the work that is to come. Love is for the ones who love the work. So let's get to work. Father...